Well, hello everyone and welcome to Valley Creek. It is great to see you. It's great to be with you and it's great to be with you all of our campuses. Can we just welcome everybody, our campuses and those joining us online? It's great to be with you too. Man, I hope you're having an awesome summer. I can't believe you guys, the summer's like halfway gone. It's really going by quick. We are in the middle of our summer and we're also in the middle of our summer series. It's called One Another and we're taking ground in our relationships. We're learning what the Bible says about how to treat our one another's. Now, one another's are just the people that are closest to you in your life. It's your spouse, your family, your kids, your friends, your coworkers. And so far, we've discovered what the Bible says about loving one another and about encouraging one another. And today, we have a brand new one another. And I think this one is just in perfect timing because there's still a little bit of summer left and you may be taking a vacation with your one another's. And that vacation may involve a plane ride. And plane trips are so great until they're not. Yeah. You know, you get to the airport an hour ahead to find out that your flight is two hours delayed. There's a mix up with the seats, and so now you're scrunched in the center seat for a really long flight. When you land, there's no gate to go to. So the captain ends up taxing the aircraft to Area 51, where you sit for an extremely long amount of time. And that baby on the back of the plane has screamed the entire time. Anybody been on that flight before? I've been on that flight before. I recently heard a story of a flight very much like that. Delayed, miserable, Area 51 parking, screaming baby in the background. And I'll tell you what, everybody on that plane was up to here. They had had it. They were so tense. You could just feel the tension in that aircraft. And all of a sudden, a man gets up out of the first class cabin, and he begins to walk to the back of the aircraft where that crying baby was. He's a businessman, all suited up, suit and tie. He walks right over to where the mom was that was holding that baby, and he does something very unexpected. He leans over, and he makes eye contact with her, and he says, hey, I am so sorry. This has been a really hard day for you, and I think you're a great mom. I think you're doing the best that you can, but you must be exhausted would you give me the honor of just holding your baby for just a brief minute or two so you can catch your breath? And the mom was so stunned, her eyes filled with tears, and she just hands him this screaming baby. <laughs> and I tell you what, that businessman takes that little baby, and he just stands there, and he begins to kind of rock her like this and talks to her. And do you know that baby just calmed right down? And not only did the baby calm down, but it was almost like everybody in the airplane just went, <sighs> they all calmed down. Because one man was kind. Yeah. One act of kindness can change everything. Yeah. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about being kind to one another. And I want to start off by asking you a question. What does kind look like? If I invited you to close your eyes and just picture the face of someone that you would say, that's a kind person, who would you see? I would see a lady with blonde hair up in a bun, bright red lipstick, and she'd smell like chocolate chip cookies. That was Miss Baker. She was my kindergarten teacher. She was so kind. But what would your image be? See, we'd probably all see different faces, and actually that's okay because kindness is not based on how you look. It's based on how you live. 
And the Apostle Paul knew this. He was writing a letter to the church in Ephesus, and he was talking to them about how do you live? Now that you're following Jesus, how do you live? And he told them, you've got to get a new attitude in your mind. And then he started talking to them about how they treat one another. And this is what he says in Ephesians 4. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you couple of interesting things, kind and compassionate. Paul puts those two words together. It's almost like they go hand in hand. And then he says, forgiving each other. Maybe Paul was trying to tell us that you can't be kind to somebody if you're holding a grudge against them. And then he talks about Jesus and how Jesus treated us and how he forgave us fully, completely, when we least expected it and when we didn't deserve it. And that's what kindness looks like. We're called to be kind to one another. Now, interesting thing about kindness is it actually requires two people. It requires someone to extend kindness and then someone to receive it. I mean, think about it. If you didn't have anybody to extend kindness to, how would you know if you were a kind person? And if there was no one showing kindness to you, then how would you know what kindness is? But we're called to be kind with one another. And man, when you're one another's, the people that mean the most to you, when they say a kind word or they do something kind, it can just, man, it fills our hearts up, overflowing. But on the flip side of that, the people that we want to love us the most, when they withhold kindness, man, it can break our heart in two. Kindness impacts us in the deepest of places. Why? Because it's in the deepest places of our hearts that we desire kindness. Now, we all recognize kindness. I think all of us in this room would agree, oh, that's what a kind person looks like. It's the stories that you see on the news of strangers helping strangers rebuild after a hurricane, like what we've got going on in the Gulf right now. It's that picture you see on your social media of the little boy that's helping an elderly person walk upstairs. It's the story you hear of a firefighter that saves a family pet, all that. That's just kindness. And those stories go viral. Kindness in an unkind world, it motivates us, it captivates us, it moves us because the human spirit was created for kindness. The Bible says that you and I were created in God's image. God is the author of kindness. So we were made to see kindness because we were also made to show kindness. Let's look at Colossians 3. Colossians 3 says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourself in kindness. Kindness is kind of a fashion statement. I think if we're wearing kindness, we're on point. If you are in Jesus, kindness fits you like a custom-made suit. It just feels good. And it's interesting because clothe yourself. I think that's fascinating words because what do we do? We put on clothes intentionally every single day. And I think scripture is telling us that we need to be intentional about putting on kindness every day. See, that's what sets us apart from the world. The world sees kindness on us and we actually see kindness on each other. So let me ask you this. How do you think we view kindness? I have a thought. See if you agree with this thought. I think that we are really great at recognizing kindness when it's in extreme situations, but I don't think we do a very good job of recognizing it in day-to-day life. 
I mean, think about it. That picture of that little boy that you saw helping the elderly person upstairs, you would be so inspired by that. You would forward it. You would like it. You would thumbs up it and tweet it and do all those kinds of things. But what about just, I don't know, the kind waiter that you encountered? Or if you see two students just really being kind to one another. In marriage, not only do I think we don't celebrate kindness in marriage, I think we're this close to being cynical about it. Here's what I mean. Um, If you see a wife and she's being overly kind to her husband, I bet you think the same thing I do. What did girlfriend buy and how much did it cost? She's buttering him up for something. And if you see a husband, oh, he's being so kind to his wife, you're thinking that doghouse must be huge that he's trying to get out of. We've even distorted the word kindness. We say this little phrase, oh, just kill him with kindness. That's awful. When did we start saying that and why do we say that? Can I tell you something? Kindness is not a tool to kill people with. It is not a tool to manipulate people or push them away. It is not a tool to try to make us even look superior. It's not that at all. Kindness is like a kingdom magnet. It actually pulls people in. Look what it says in Proverbs 19. It says, what's desired in a man is kindness. What's desired in a woman is kindness. Another translation says the charm of a man is his kindness. I think it's trying to tell us that what is deeply desired more than anything else with our one another's is kindness. And maybe you don't buy that. I'll be honest, I'm not so sure that I bought it either until I really stopped and started thinking about it. Hey, wives, don't you just desire for your husband to look at you for for no specific reason, but genuinely from his heart say, babe, you look so pretty. Husbands, don't you desire your wife to champion you and tell you how amazing you are and thank you for doing all the projects around the house and just thank you for just, just taking care and protecting our family. Students, Don't you want somebody when you go to school to say, hey, come sit with me at lunch, or hey, let's go hang out afterwards. All those things are just basic acts of kindness. And if that's what we desire from our one another's, guess what? That's what your one another's desire from you. So question, would your spouse say that you're a kind person? Student, would your mom and dad say that you're kind If I asked your friends or your coworkers, hey, close your eyes and envision a kind person, would it be your face that they see? Actually, I think kindness is a little bit of a paradox, if you ask me. I think we would all agree, yeah, kindness is good, and yeah, we should all live kindly, and yeah, we know what it looks like, but why then is it so underrated? I would submit to you it's because the world values the wrong type of kindness. The world values, oh, random acts of kindness. It's those things we do on a whim that really just make us feel better about ourselves. Or conditional kindness. You be kind to me, I'll be kind to you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But neither one of those are kingdom kindness because those are self-serving. Okay, come on. If you and I are at the drive-thru and we, the guy in front of us just bought our coffee, we have a choice. We can either break the chain or we can buy for the guy behind us. What do we, nine times out of ten, what do we do? We all buy for the guy behind us. But what's our motive? I think it's polite peer pressure. I don't think we, I, we could care less about whether he gets his latte. I think we just don't want to look like a cheapskate in front of the cashier that's going, so what you going to do, you know? 
random acts of kindness. It's not kingdom kindness. So let me, let me unpack that for you by giving you, this is my working definition of what I think kingdom kindness is. Kingdom kindness, it's an intentional, selfless expression of God's love. It's intentional. We have to think about it. We have to put effort into it. And it's a selfless expression. It's not about us doing what we want to do or saying what we want to say. It's about doing and saying what they need and what they need to hear. And it's actually an expression of God's love. It's not even ours. It's just being open to receive from him and then release it to them. Maybe the the easiest definition is just to say that kingdom kindness is just God's love expressed. That's really what it is. And Jesus, oh, he was such a kind person. All over scripture, you see example after example of how Jesus was so kind in how he interacted with people. And I think one of the most powerful examples of kindness that we see in Jesus is how he dealt with the woman that was caught in adultery. Some of us know this story. Some of us don't know this story. If you're not familiar with it, it's in John chapter 8. It's a good read. I would suggest you go check it out. But basically, this is what happened. Jesus was at the temple courts, and he was about to teach as he normally did. And all of a sudden, the religious leaders bring in this woman, and she had had literally been caught in the act of adultery. So they bring her out of her private sin into a very public place, and the crowd begins to just shame her and judge her, and they're saying all kinds of unkind things to her. And there's a whole bunch of them that maybe didn't say it, but you know they were thinking it. Time out, little thought. When unkind words come out of our mouth, it gets toxic out here. But when unkind thoughts get stuck in our head, it gets toxic in here. So here's this woman. Crowd is just going crazy. And then they come over to Jesus, and they tell Jesus what they caught her doing. And they say, what do you think we should do to her? Because the law says that we should stone her. Stone her meant throwing rocks at her until she died. And Jesus looks at them. And he doesn't address them. Instead, he starts writing something in the sand. We don't know what he was writing. I would love to know what he was writing, but we don't know. And the crowd's still asking him questions. The religious leaders, the leaders of the law, they're just pummeling him with questions. Finally, he stands up and he says, hey, whichever one of you is without sin, you throw the first rock at her. Now, in the Greek translation, the original Greek text, that word without sin, it doesn't just mean whichever one of you has never committed a sin. It means whichever one of you has never committed nor even thought about or had a sinful desire. Probably disqualified everybody, but he just went back to writing on the ground. One by one, the crowd began to just walk away until there's no one left. And Jesus comes over now. He's addressing the woman. And he says to her, is there anybody here left to condemn you? She says, no. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. In that one scenario, there are two amazing proofs of the power of kindness. First is with the crowd. See, the crowd was emotional and they were violent and their emotions were way up here. But Jesus didn't come in way up here. He came in way down here with kindness and gentleness, and he ended up just diffusing the whole situation. They were full of words because they wanted justice, just like a lot of people in our world today. But Jesus didn't get into a word battle with them. He didn't debate them. He just gave them something to think about, and they pondered it. 
And the power of kindness gave them a different perspective, and they walked away. That's the first showing of the power of kindness. The second is with the woman. Jesus comes to the woman. He doesn't start shaming her or preaching at her or even calling out her sin. He doesn't have to. Instead, he speaks love to her, and he extends kindness. And he says, go and don't sin anymore. He basically gives her a second chance. He gives her purpose. The power of kindness, it gave perspective to some. It gave purpose to another. But here's what I don't want you to miss. Don't miss this. Jesus did not agree with either party. Jesus did not agree with the woman because he said, go and sin no more. Jesus did not agree with the rulers who were publicly shaming her and condemning her. What can we learn? (laughs) I think Jesus is teaching us that you can be kind to somebody even if you don't agree with them. Can I give all of us just a little bit of freedom here today? Seriously, just, that's okay. It's, I think this is pivotal for us in this time, guys. We don't have to agree with what the people in our lives are doing to choose to be kind to them. Kindness is not agreement. Now, we don't agree with them, but we do have to value them. Jesus valued the woman. Jesus valued the crowd. That's why he showed up, got involved, and brought a very peaceful solution. Can I ask all of us, me too, can I ask a really hard question this morning? Is there a possibility that you've missed the opportunity to extend kindness to somebody because you just didn't value the person standing in front of you? I think it can be easy for us to lose sight of valuing them because we're busy evaluating them. We don't like their their ways. We don't like their lifestyle. We don't like what they're doing or their behavior. So we just withhold our kindness. But guys, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to clothe ourselves with kindness. It doesn't matter what kind of clothes they're wearing or what they're doing or how they're behaving. We're not responsible for the reality of life, but we are responsible for how we respond to it. And we are to respond to them with kindness. Now, I think... I think kindness is how we deal with the one another's out there. But you know what? Kindness is how we deal with one another in here. Listen, when we come to church, guys, this should be, this environment should be rich with kindness to one another. But if we're not careful, religion creeps in. And what religion brings with it is what I call counterfeit kindness. That's when we start doing all these good things. But we're doing these good things to make us look good instead of helping somebody else feel good. We're doing things with ourself in mind and not them. And you say, what does that look like? Well, it's when somebody comes up to you and they really have a deep hurt. And we're just real quick at just flipping a a Bible verse at them or, or we just send an online devotion to them. Or we say these little quips like, oh, if God brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. Okay. Can, can, can we just call that kind of what it is? That's counterfeit kindness. Because sometimes the people in our life, they don't need a bumper sticker statement. They don't need another verse. They don't need some hyped up spiritual pep talk. They need to know we hear them. And we love them. And we care about them. And whatever has them heavy, it matters to us because they matter to us. There was a family in scripture that, that mattered 
to Jesus. It was a set of siblings, two sisters named Mary and Martha, and they had this brother named Lazarus. Now, some of us in the room know the story I'm about to say. Some of us don't. If you haven't read this one, it's three chapters over from the other. It's John 11. It, too, is a good read. But this is what happens. Mary and uh, Martha and Lazarus, they're all here, and Lazarus gets sick. Lazarus gets sick, and Jesus is out of town. So the sisters send word on high-speed camel to let Jesus know, hey, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus gets the message, but he doesn't do anything. He stays out of town. Lazarus dies. He actually dies. And Jesus doesn't come right away. When the time is right, Jesus comes to where the sisters are. And by this time, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And the sisters are distraught, and they're grieving, and they're crying and sobbing. And when Jesus gets there, they're saying things to him like, where were you? If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says to them, take me where he is. Where'd you take him? And so they go to where he is, and then the Bible gives us one verse with two words. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now, I've never really liked that because it doesn't make sense to me. I don't think it should have gone down like that. Spoiler alert, Jesus does raise Lazarus from the dead. Okay, that does happen. But this is why I don't think it should have gone down like that. When Jesus was out of town, I think he knew right then Lazarus was going to come back to life. He told his disciples, this, meaning Lazarus' sickness, this is not going to end in death. He told them that. And then he also told them, I'm going to wake Lazarus up. And he wasn't talking about from a nap. So I think Jesus, he might not have known exactly what it was going to look like, but I think Jesus knew when he got there, he had faith in God because everything is possible with God, that he was going to ask God to raise him from the dead, and he had faith he would do it. So I think Jesus knew it was going to be okay. Now, if that's what he knew, then I think it should have gone down something like this. Hey, girls! Dry those tears. Quit crying. Come on, Martha. Go get me a couple of cans of Febreze. We're going in that stinky cave, and I'm going to bring that bad boy back to life. It is okay. It is okay. Why didn't he do it like that? He knew it was going to be okay. But yet, Jesus wept with them. I think Jesus was trying to tell us that it takes time to be kind. Kind and compassionate. And you have to have compassion to connect to them. See, I think Jesus is telling us kindness is not about fixing their problem. It's about feeling their pain. Now, I will tell you, this is hard for me. This right here. It is so hard for me. I don't like pain. (laughs) To be honest with you, I want to live my life galloping and throwing glitter bombs everywhere I go. That's just my way. That's just what I want to do. But you know what the Lord's been teaching me? He's been teaching me that sometimes I need to feel the hurt for me. Because when I feel the hurt, that's the first step in beginning to heal. Now, I'm getting that for me. But I tell you, I still don't like it with my one and others. When I see the people I love more than anything in life hurting, I get in there and I want to fix it. And I try to help. And sometimes I do more harm than good because I'm trying to pull them out of this pit of sorrow that they're in. And they're going, would you just sit with me for a minute? Just sit with me. Just feel it with me for a minute. And then I'll walk out with you. Kindness means being willing to meet them where they are, even if it's a place we don't want to go. So the question is, are you willing to value the one another's in your life enough to show compassion to them? I mean, it's a question all of us have to answer if we're going to take ground in our relationships. And you say, Becca, that's hard. I know. 
I know. Just being kind itself, it's not easy. It doesn't come natural. You want to know why it doesn't come natural? Because it's not. It's supernatural. You and I cannot manufacture or create kindness if we tried because it's not of us. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, bingo, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Kindness is through the Spirit. When you and I are in Jesus and when our roots are really deep in him, there's a root that's growing up within that. That's the Holy Spirit. And when we submit and surrender to him in our life, then we bear fruit. You say, what does bearing fruit mean? It means we just act different than we ever have before. That is what kindness is. Now, can I show you all something I think is really cool? Y'all may not think this is cool. I thought this was cool. In the Bible, anytime you see order, order is always really important. So always key in when you see the first of this or you see an order of something. Look at where kindness falls in the order of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. One, two, three, four, five. Kindness is the fifth one. Do you know why it's the fifth one? I don't either, but I have an idea. <laughs> what if... To bear the fruit of kindness, what if we have to start by bearing the fruit of love? And when we bear the fruit of love, then we start to walk in joy. And you know, when you're loving and joyful, you're, you're probably pretty peaceful. And I don't think I've ever seen a peaceful person who didn't have patience about them. So if we want to be a kind person, maybe it starts with Bearing the fruit of love and learning to walk in joy and being peaceful and patient. Maybe that. Maybe that's how we get there. So if you and I struggle sometimes bearing the fruit of kindness, maybe there's an invitation to go back and do a little check and say, do I need to bear some of these other fruits that have led me there? Have you ever said this to your one another's? I'll admit, I have. I have said, can't you just say a kind word to me? And I probably even stomped my foot when I did it. Do you know what I'm asking them to do? I'm asking them to overjump, just to leapfrog over all that stuff and go straight to self-control. Guys, they can't. They literally can't do it. And sometimes I think that we can resist being kind because I think we have this idea that a kind person, eh, they're actually kind of a pushover. They're a little weak. You know what? If I see somebody that has walked that road to kindness, I'm going to tell you something. They're not weak. They are a warrior, but they are clothed in kindness. Now, if you're like me, you may say, well, why is it that it's kind of easier for me to be kind to strangers than it is to my one another's? I know, me too. And I think it's because when we extend kindness, we're actually extending grace. Grace is undeserved and least expected. (laughs) And with our one another's, oh, we know them so well. And we say, they don't deserve my kindness. I'll be kind to her when she's kind to me. That's what we say. But we can't let their behavior be a barrier for us to extend kindness to them because kindness comes When we have compassion and not expectations of them. Can I ask you, which do you have more of? More compassion or more expectation for the one another's in your life? See, where do those expectations come from? Well, the expectations come when I have an expectation of what your kindness to me should look like. I think it should look like this. 
And when he comes in down here and it looks like this, then what do I try to do? Oh, I try to change you. Have any of you ever tried to change your spouse? I'm not even going to look at you when I ask you that question. Have you tried to change your kids? What do we do? Oh, we get all kinds of creative. We nag, we bribe, we throw temper tantrums. We do all kinds of things to get them to change. But you know what? Kindness is a change agent. Romans 2.4, kindness leads to repentance. Okay, in case you don't know, repentance, all that means is change your mind. Change the way you think. And changed thinking leads to changed living. So kindness leads to change. That's what it's saying. It's kindness that's going to change my marriage. It's kindness that's going to change my family. It's kindness that's going to change my workplace or my school. Kindness is what's going to change it. That right there is why I love to be a part of Valley Creek Church. You guys wonder why do we talk about Jesus and grace all the time? That's why. Because kindness is grace. And when we receive his grace, that's the fuel for change. Nagging doesn't work. Shaming doesn't work. All of the things that we think, trying to make people feel guilty and telling them to try harder, that doesn't work. All that is is performance-based striving and behavior management, and there's nothing kind about it. But when grace, when grace of Jesus is released through kindness. It's like a supernatural key that unlocks change in their heart. You know what? It unlocks change in our heart too. And the key, it's not real specific words that we use. It's not so much about what we say, but it's how we say it. Proverbs is a good one for this. Proverbs. When Proverbs is actually talking about wisdom, but it uses the pronoun she, So when she, meaning wisdom, when wisdom speaks, her words are wise and she gives instructions with kindness. Have you ever tried to give instructions to your spouse and they don't listen? And then the very next day, someone else says the exact same instruction with the exact same words. And they go, that's great. Oh, what is that? What is that? Maybe it's happened to you at work. You try to pitch an idea or you try to give direction or instruction and it just goes flat. And then a week later, the new kid pitches the exact same idea and everybody's like, oh, it's amazing. What is that? Maybe, maybe when we said it, maybe our instructions weren't laced with kindness. Maybe our instructions, and they had a tone that instead of being compassionate and kind for their good, maybe ours had a tone of expectations and demands for our good. Listen, we can say all kinds of things about kindness. This is a big topic. This is why I really do hope you guys will come Tuesday night to on-campus groups because they're going to talk more. There's a lot to say. But for sake of time, I'm going to have to wrap this up right now, okay? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap this all up. I'm going to give you three super fast Super fast, practical points on how you can take ground with your one another's in the area of being kind. The first one is this. We've got to receive grace to release kindness. Listen, until we receive the grace of Jesus for ourselves, it's going to be really hard to release kindness to others. Look at what Titus 3 says. It says, when Jesus revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He revealed kindness and love. 
to reveal. That's what revelation, when we say I want revelation, it just means something got revealed to us. When we can catch sight of that revelation and realize he gave us kindness and love, that's how we'll be kind and loving to those around us. That's the first thing. The second thing we've got to do is this. Let's replace those random acts of kindness with intentional acts of kindness. Let's quit doing random things for random people. So right now, think of one of your one another's. Just pick one in your mind. Think of one. That one right there. Now, What's one thing that you can do or say today that's kind to them? Write it down. Put it in your phone. Set the alarm. Remind Siri to remind you. Then tell Alexa to remind Siri to remind you. Whatever it takes. Leverage technology. But we've got to be intentional. And the last one is this. We've got to release kindness from the inside out. What I mean is if we started to release kindness with those closest to us, our family, friends, coworkers. If everyone in this room, and if everyone in every room across Valley Creek Church did that, the ripple effect would be huge. Listen, guys, if we want to be a movement of hope for them out there, we got to start with stirring up a whole lot of kindness with each other in here. Leadership used to say about Valley Creek Church, we used to say, man, we want to be the friendliest church in the region. We don't say that anymore. We say that we want to be the most kind people in the region because kindness is evidence of the spirit at work. And y'all, that's what changes people's lives. Listen, we have the privilege and the responsibility of being the hands of Jesus to a hurting and broken world. We get to be his hands. The Bible has a lot to say about hands. It was Moses who parted the Red Sea with his hands. The disciples fed 5,000 people from their hands. Jesus did miracles with his hands. Do you know what is on God's hands? According to Isaiah, your name Your name is on the palm of his hands. So for those of you that have been sitting here this whole time saying, oh, but I just want someone to be kind to me. Okay. The one who created all things with his hands, he's got your name on it. So can we stand in the confidence and the assurance and the love of knowing that he's got us in his hands so that we can extend the hands of Jesus, the kingdom kindness to our one another's. You can be kind to your one another because Jesus, he's kind to you. So what do you say, church? Let's be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave us. Will you close your eyes with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us what kindness looks like. Thank you for loving us when we least expected it. Thank you for saving us when we didn't deserve it. But now we get to be your hands. We get to be the one carrying the kindness of the kingdom to those that are closest to us. So, man, church, I just encourage you. Would you just right now, would you just in your own way, would you just thank him? Just in your own heart right now, would you just say thank you? for your kindness to me. And then, 
Father, may we be empowered. May we be hope carriers that are quick to show the kingdom of the kindness to those around us. And we will do it in the strength and in the authority and in the name of Jesus. Amen.